These stories are amazing You pick that particular phrasing I'm watching them all so I'll know Are they though? Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to Are They, Though?, an Amazing Stories podcast, the only podcast I know of, where I sit down with a friend and we talk about an episode of Steven Spielberg's anthology series from 1985 to 1987, Amazing Stories. Today, my friend is Ronald Friend James. Hi. What's up, John? Thank you for inviting me to talk about this show. I'm excited. Well, I can't think of anybody who I'd rather kick off a uh, possibly <clears throat> possibly be? pointless podcast with. But tell me why I'm super curious. Because uh, we've done it before, Ronald. Yeah, we have uh, chemistry. Yes, uh, chemistry. Yeah, absolutely. But um, so yeah, the premise of this show is um, we're going to dig up one of these episodes of the anthology series. Mm. And now I mentioned they were from '85 to '87. They were produced by Steven Spielberg with NBC, and it was part of a two-year deal that Steven Spielberg made with NBC. So they bought the show for two years before they saw anything. Oh, wow. So when you look at the show's ratings, and you look at the general opinion of the quality of individual episodes of the show, and you go, well, this show, it seems like it would have been canceled after just a few episodes mm-hmm. if it weren't for Steven Spielberg's name being on it, and if it weren't for the fact that they had a two-year deal. But there were 45 episodes in total, which is a lot. Like, for today's standards, That's a whole lot. in its first season, it was the 35th highest rated show. Right. In the second season, it was the 52nd highest rated show. So, a show with those ratings would not stick around for 45 episodes if but, NBC didn't want to be in the Steven Spielberg business. Well, that's even weirder because, like, back in the 80s, like, millions and millions of viewers was considered a flop if it weren't within, you know, within a top tier 10 million, 11 million a week. That's weird. Presumably, Steven Spielberg is going to bring in cinematic production values. He's going to bring in the sort of talent that he could get for the movies at the time. In terms of his career, he was between Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom and The Color Purple. By the way, you're talking about a person that took chances creatively. Like, there's no one in our history of cinema that's... The that look that has the color purple Indiana Jones ET this show, right on their resume it's insane man. That was a lot of groundwork laid for me to be like this name Steven Spielberg. It really means something because yeah. um, I was in the in the fall when this show premiered. Um, I was twelve, so okay. I think that was like the sweet spot for that sort of storytelling. There is a lightness of heart to this show that is different from other anthology series like mm. Twilight Zone. Or Alfred Hitchcock Presents, or Outer Limits. Those shows went darker. Yeah. Um, not that this show doesn't have dark episodes, but in general, this is sort of like the happy ending version of the yeah. Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone had a lot of endings that are basically like, uh, what's what's the first Avengers movie? Um, Infinity War. Infinity War. Like <laughs> they'd end like that. Yeah. And then that was roll credits, and to, to be expected to be okay with an <laughs> ending like that was rough. I mean, I, I, you know, watching the original Twilight Zone, I was devastated sometimes. I'd watch, and I'm like, that's it? That, that So people are stuck like this forever? Yeah. And, you know, I've seen, I haven't seen many episodes of this. I remember it. I, you know, I was. How old were you in 1985? I was two years old. Two. Uh, yeah. And, you know, my mom would say that I was sharp and I could, I could watch things. But, you know, this, this would have been my pocket. You know, 
and I, I, I can imagine that if I was like four or five, I would have watched it pretty often. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I haven't, I haven't seen too many episodes. I'm pretty excited about watching it with you. It was a big show for me because of all those reasons I mentioned, all those great things that Steven Spielberg's name was attached to. Like now, I was 12, so I was starting to become interested in girls and and different aspects of the social sphere, but I was still like a uh, an action figure kid and a comic book kid. And even then, I remember there were weeks where I knew like, okay, that was only okay. Yeah. Um, and I recall this first episode being one that I think it did impress me. It was the the first one, and it was directed by Steven Spielberg. So this is one of only two episodes of the show that were directed by right. him. And like many episodes of the show, it has a story by Steven Spielberg credit. Okay. Gotcha. And then the teleplay is by a guy named Frank Deese. Hmm. A lot of people from this show went on to do a lot of things, and you look at their IMDb and you go, oh, wow, look at all the things this person worked on. Right. Or sometimes he'll have a director on the show that was like an assistant director or an art director on other things, and then you'll look and see the things they worked on and go, holy shit, this person worked on E.T. and Raiders and all this. Wow. But Frank Deese, his IMDb page is very, very Scarce? scant. Is he still alive? He does seem to still be alive. Good. I, I know. <laughs> I know it's like a thing. I mean, <laughs> decades have passed. But when you check that on IMDb and you see, like, his most recent credit is, as a writer, was 1993. I always assume, I'm, I'm not trying to be weird, I always assume when somebody's credits stop in the 90s that they're not alive anymore. Not to, not to, that I want them to mm-hmm. not be alive. It's just, you're like, what? You were talented. Why did you just stop? Death could have been the only thing that could have stopped you, is what I think. But that's either that's neither here nor there. But or you think like, did they were they disenchanted with the business, you know, or <laughs> yeah, was there like an yeah, illness? Maybe Frank Deese will reemerge because as recently as 2019, he was a script supervisor on a documentary, okay, called Inside This Piece, and he's worked on things. He's had sporadic credits over the last few years, but his writing credits were just there were just three of them. Uh, from 1985 to 1993. In uh, 1985, he wrote Ghost Train, this episode of Amazing Stories. And then in 1987, he wrote the... Uh, do you remember this Jim Belushi movie, The Principal? No. It was one of those, like, um, there's a badass principal coming into a uh. like a troubled <laughs> high school, and he's going to knock it into shape kind of movie. Say no more. I'm going to look that movie up. <laughs> <laughs> and Sounds then he, very entertaining. And then in 1993, well, I, you know, I don't know. I think it was one of those like self-serious 80s movies where I'm looking at the picture and it's like mm-hmm. Jim Belushi standing in front of a school that's got a broken window and he's holding a baseball bat. You know, so I really think it's it's maybe in the shadow of um, Stand and Deliver or do you remember that movie? Yeah, and the other one. Um, Dangerous Minds. They call him a Batman. Go oh. have a bat. <laughs> uh, uh, what's the name? Uh, Morgan Freeman. What was that one called? I just remember him talking about the chains on the door. Oh, the chains on the doors. Something, something, something. Yeah. Like, what the hell is the name of that movie? You know, I can look it up and drop it in yeah, right now. Please. So, right. I want the name. Every hoodlum, drug dealer, and miscreant on my desk by noon today. They called him crazy. They used to call me crazy, Joe. Well, now they can call me Batman. Lean on me. I really like that movie that I, that I can't remember the name of. And then in 1993, Frank Deese wrote a movie called Josh and Sam. And Sam is spelled S-A-M uh, with periods, so it's an acronym. Uh-huh. And I just wanted to read this up because I think this, um, this uh, plot summary sounds pretty interesting. Josh and Sam are two brothers facing change. Their mother's about to marry a French accountant. And the kids are sent <laughs> to go live with their father in Florida. 
Meanwhile, Josh tells Sam that he is an SAM that is going to be sent to Africa to fight in a war, and that Canada is a safe haven for any SAM unwilling to fight. The cross-country journey begins when the two boys think they killed a drunk and steal his car en route to Canada, where they encounter the Liberty Maid. Can I tell you something? This is not a uh, synopsis. That's, that's like a just the entire story. Like, what? what is that? What is that? What? What is what you just... That's like a whole <laughs> breakdown of the. You know, on IMDb when they don't have they do don't that. have an official synopsis. Yeah. they've got like some fan wrote in. Yeah, so there's another person that wrote brothers Josh and Sam are fed up with life at home, not to mention each other. So Sam becomes friends with his father's stepsons, and Josh feels left out. This means war. Josh uses his creative Too talents much. to make Sam believe he's a genetically altered Too mutant much. trained to fight in battle. Uh, so their plot to run away from home is disguised as a covert operation. Yes, it sounds very it's too much. Ninety three. Just shorten it. It's yeah. like two. <laughs> like you don't have to tell me all the twists in the synopsis. That's crazy. Well, don't what? you think sometimes movies like that are forgotten or that they don't they don't leave a mark with people because you can't put it into words we've said this about many things that like sometimes a, a fantasy film will have too many asks involved yeah. in buying the concept you know mm -hmm. like that movie um even though i thought it looked kind of cool was it mortal engines immortal engines yeah there was a lot to that that, that could, had a, a lot of you that, couldn't explain that in one sentence yeah that's impossible right <laughs> I, get, I get it i get it so that's the pedigree of this episode story by spielberg written by frank deese directed by spielberg and there are some recognizable faces in this i guess but the main recognizable face would be the the sort of lead character in this episode the character of opa um roberts blossom plays opa and he is probably most known to modern audiences as the old guy in home alone okay so he's the lovable grandfather in this he's the creepy old guy right. in home alone um, and that's all we need to know about Ghost Train before we sit down to watch it. And then we'll be back with our recap and discussion. You ready to hop on the train? Yeah, I'm ready. So that was Ghost Train. I, yeah. I did mention beforehand that people might recognize Robert's Blossom. I had forgotten that the kid in this was Lucas Haas. Yeah. This is the same year that uh, Lucas Haas appeared in Witness. Mm. So... Um, that makes sense. Yeah, very Spielbergian little kid, very reminiscent of yeah. uh, of some somewhere between Elliot and and the Drew Barrymore character yeah. in ET in terms of like his age and the kind of the kind of kid that he is. But I, but I remember now that when I saw this, it was part of the sort of Spielberg feeling that I had. Yeah. There's a little bit to unpack here, but what are your gut feelings? Your your first impression feelings about Ghost Train? That was heavy. Really, it's a heavy idea. Yeah. Like it, um, Two or three levels of heavy. Like Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, and to give context to this, like, you know, in the last couple years, you and I've had some stuff happen. And, and this, <laughs> there's something really heavy about what he said to this little kid to unpack, and he's just okay with it. But, but I guess we'll yeah, we'll definitely it's get heavy, to it. Man. It is heavy. It's and heavy. It was it's a heavy episode. In some ways, it's sort of predictable. I mean, oh, it's yeah, in yeah. some ways, it's like it's sort of like a train. Like it's it's on a certain track. Yeah. You can see from the beginning where it's going because you know in one of these anthology shows they have to like from the first frame every bit of exposition, every bit of dialogue is like setting you up for yeah. what's the hook of this thing. But within that, there really was. Uh, 
I would say an emotionally affecting story. And oh, yeah. I, I, I don't, I was kind of hiding it from you on the futon over there when we were watching, but I, I got a little choke here or there I at a couple too. points in this episode. And I think a lot of it has to do with that Spielberg touch. Yeah. The, those, that lighting, that the way he can kind of capture that twinkle in someone's eye, John Williams, who did the music for this episode, he yeah. did the opening theme for the whole series. And then he scored just a few episodes, if, if not just a couple episodes. But I think the performance of Robert's Blossom as Opa, yeah. I thought he was really great. He like, was good. He, was he really, really good. got to me. There's something about like this line about um, I'm still that kid. So I remember my granddad I used to see him a lot on uh, on Greenmount Avenue. Like when I would come home from school, mm-hmm. like he'd be on the corner with his friends talking. It was like his thing. He would he would go to he worked at Bethlehem Steel. He'd come home and his time was like he'd get a drink, he'd hang out with his friends on the corner and talk. It's like all his older friends. And I remember he was like a mystery to me until I found out that he could cook. And we'd we'd sit down and I realized that as a kid, he was making things that he loved as a kid. And so when he, he would cook grits and eggs for us, he would just start talking about his life. And you realize that, like, uh, you know, adults are just older kids. Like, he he became more human to me. He had a sense of humor that I thought was just, I thought he was stoic, but he had a really crazy sense of humor. Mm-hmm. And I didn't get any of that until I kind of sat down with my grandpa and he cooked for you me. You don't really change that much. No, hell no, man. And it's you not don't. to say that if you're picking your nose and wiping boogers in the rug when you're seven, that you're never going to fall out of that habit. Mm-hmm. But but as far as like what's your basic nature, and, mm-hmm. and more so than that, like if something rattled you when you were a kid, yeah. it can rattle you when you're a grown-up. <laughs> yeah. And this character of Olpa um, definitely has something from his childhood that sticks with him and that shapes yeah seemingly his whole life and when you find out the scope of what happened you can see how it might hang over someone's whole life but before we get to that i do want to say one thing and this is a really good example of how buried these memories can be i've seen this episode of this show probably once probably when it first aired that was it so many details stuck with me but the weirdest one is that 10 or 15 years ago i did a little radio play comedy thing with Mm. a friend that was for an old podcast i did called all things being john one of the bits was uh, a thing with me and my grandfather like a fictionalized version of my grandfather kind of a composite grandfather Mm -hmm. and i didn't want to give it the name that that i used for either of my grandfathers Mm. um but i thought what's a good grandparent name and i just kind of pulled out of the air old pa hello everyone in radio land it's old pa (laughs) funny story and if you'd asked me, did you come up with that? I would yeah. have said, well, surely someone out there has yeah. called that and I just pulled it. I had no idea it was from this episode. Nuts, so man. seeing that and hearing them call him Old Pa, it really is like things will stick with you. And you wouldn't even be able to say where they were from. Yeah. Old Pa in this story, uh, he definitely knows what it is that happened and he definitely knows his role in it and why it has stuck with him. So yeah. um, it kind of gives him the impression of being sort of a haunted person or maybe a person right. who's had this little bit of tragedy in his life all along. And what you're saying about things we've had happen, I'll just put it in brief. We both lost our fathers in recent years. um, And I lost my grandfather uh, in that same span of time. That idea of these people whose stories you know and how they're going to leave you and what that connection is. And I don't know, it, it definitely, it's hard to say that any story that deals with the death of a parent or a grandparent, that it doesn't like 
ring true with me, even if the specifics are completely different. And I, I guess yeah. because you brought that up, you must be experiencing some form of that. We don't have to go into it too deeply. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I would be lying to you if I didn't tell you, that if I told you that it didn't affect me in that way. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, you think about <laughs> the <laughs> him, you know, him specifically saying, like, it's my time to go. I also, like... Dad stuff affects me a lot differently now, obviously, and it, and it probably affects you differently. I just saw Ad Astra, and that's like it, the trailer would you not mean tell Dad Dastra. Yeah, <laughs> you would not know that that movie was about dad stuff, and it's literally only about dad stuff and dealing with, mm-hmm. you know, addressing. And it, and it kind of has a similar ending where, I mean, not to give the movie away, there's something about a choice that's made when he sees his dad that that's very similar to this and you feel this feeling like man i whenever it happened or wherever you were um so one of the biggest things in my head when i when i watched this was like when when my dad passed why didn't and my sister kind of mentioned this and not to like put it all out there she was like why didn't anything like click when it happened why didn't i get like a a trumpet go off or like did i feel something randomly out in the world why didn't something like why not feel something why not feel a jolt and mm-hmm. i don't know if it's as complicated as just like the force a disturbance in the force yeah yeah no there is something strange about that feeling of uh kind of knowing what's coming and when it's time right. and uh not getting a chance to say goodbye versus in this show like there is at least a chance to say goodbye right I mean, the good part about it is if if you're a pretty, I mean, a, a pretty active conversationalist with my dad when we were, t- when, when he was alive, like I told him pretty often I loved him. So that felt really good. Like that, that's, I mean, if I could say that there's anything about any of this, like watching this that I felt, I was like, at least during the course of our relationship, I said what I said. My dad and I told each other we loved each other all the time. (laughs) And it was a way of saying like, so at least on top of all this crap, I'm not sitting here wishing I'd said that or wish or at worst wishing I'd heard that. It's kind of complicated too. Like, to be honest, um, my mom and dad are are a a scientist and a mathematician who are very like... scientific and mathy um if i could describe what i all sciencey and mathical yeah so like think about like walter white like walter white the way that it was like equations to him like you have to do this to do this for this to happen Mm -hmm. my dad was kind of similar so i i'd say out of the dynamic in my family i'm the most expressive so you kind of teach people how to love you so like he wasn't like that at first my mom wasn't like that at first, but you kind of, if you jump, if you jump around enough and say as many silly things as possible, like when I call my mom, I say, "Hey, this is your son, Ronald James." I've been saying that since I was a kid. Mm-hmm. So now when she calls me, she's like, "Hey, this is your mother, Sylvia James." Like it's just like the way that you you teach people how to love you you know it's it's a weird thing it's so. funny i say to my mom if i'm leaving a message i'll say hey mom it's me the only man who calls you mom <laughs> <laughs> see it's something similar and like you you realize like it's not a thing that you do on purpose but it's like you you want to leave your mark you're like you you're like this this is something that we have mm-hmm. and i remember specifically conversations that i had with my dad that felt very distinct. Like I wouldn't have had this conversation with anybody else reacting to something that happened. Mm-hmm. And um, 
it's heavy, man. It's heavy in the sea. A guy being like, I'm not going to be here anymore. Oh, yeah. What? And laying that on a kid who seems to be like seven or eight, maybe. <laughs> what? What? I cannot, I cannot imagine hearing that from my granddad, you know? When that train comes around tonight, I'm never coming back. If I could complain about anything, mm -hmm. and that, this guy just kind of being like, a train's coming through here. That, I was all right with that. Yeah. The undersell that the son heard that his dad was going to be gone. He's just like, cool. And the son is like, oh, my God, this is about that. That was crazy to me. No, no it is missing the father-son stuff. It's got yeah. some grandfather-grandson yeah. stuff. And maybe it would be natural at that age that the grandparent has this kind of uh, iconic quality to a kid. And at that age, yeah. parents are looking at their parents as almost like children they have to deal with. Right. I do think in this story, you can see how the father, who is, um, the character's name is Fenton. The, the, they're the Globe family. I don't think I caught that. Fenton Globe? Fenton Globe. Jolene Globe. Wow. And their son, Brian Globe. I guess if, like, if you're Fenton and you're Jolene, you're like, let's give our kid a, a milk toast name. <laughs> um, and then Opa Clyde Globe. But the son right. of Opa, Fenton, who is who has just built a house, mm-hmm. And is wanting to kind of show it off to his dad. There really wasn't much of a connection there between them, but I think maybe that part of the story is there is an analogy between grandparents and and children, mm. or grandparents and and their grandchildren, in a sense, in that children are still sort of under the care of their parents, and grandparents might be entering into a stage where yeah. they are under the care of the same same people. Right, right, so Fenton, as the son in the middle of this, maybe he just doesn't have the time to stop and sit and talk with his dad the way that his son does, right. you know? So there's yeah, like this, the grandson that. and the grandfather share a real bond. And then in the middle, the son is kind of like just wanting to make sure everything goes off without a hitch. But what the story gives us is a story where the mom and the dad, Fenton and Jolene, <laughs> boy, those are names. Um, they, they just kind of have a lot of fish to fry, you know, like they are not... They're not necessarily yeah. going to go out and walk and talk about, like, all the stories of, like, all the Native Americans that used to live in this area yeah. and what they used to do. Which is also very heavy. Yeah, that was very heavy. It's but very at least the show strikes the right note. Do you know which Indians it was? Oh, it was right around here that the sack chief, Keokuk, the watchful fox, fought off the Sioux who were after the sack land. Did you ever know someone that was stopped by an Indian? Little Brian, the Indians were the first people on this land. It was theirs, all of it. You ask me, they had a right to do what they had to do to protect their families, their land, their way of life. Opa, I found an Indian arrowhead. Look. Uh, it's just a rock. It looks like one. There's something very forward thinking about a guy that's like, I don't blame the Native yeah. Americans for doing what they did. It's like, man, this is... It's like, I'm not going to be forward thinking enough to call them Native Americans. <laughs> right, but at least I'm going to But at least I'm going to acknowledge this. <laughs> that was really interesting. I I thought that was one of the best parts about it. Yeah. Well, let's let's get... If, just in case anyone who's listening has no idea what we're talking about. At the beginning sure. of the story, the, the Globe family, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, Fenton and Jolene and, uh, and, their, and Fenton's dad, Opa, are in a car driving out to the new house that the Globes have built. And you can tell it seems like it's a situation where the, the grandfather's going to be living with them now. Yeah. And so it's this kind of new stage of life. Like I was saying, like you're being taken care of. You don't yeah. have your own space anymore. Um, 
And they aren't like selling that really hard, but it does seem like they're trying to sell them on, oh, the house is great. You're going to yeah. love it. And but, they're selling the age thing too hard, man. Like, yeah. There's something about like re-emphasizing over and over again how old someone is mm -hmm. that's super weird that a lot of us do. That's so strange because, I mean, I say this often, you're going to be old for longer than you're going to be young. Yeah. And that's a weird thing that people don't talk about on any level. So that like once people start calling you sir and that starts like young sometimes mm -hmm. like you know depending on how you look in the face yeah <laughs> you know that starts kind of early like it yeah. can be as early as like 25 26 for some people right to be to and then to be like be told constantly you're getting old you're old you're getting old old man you're getting old that must be frustrating you're gonna love the house. See, I designed it with uh, three bedrooms on the, on the second floor and, and one downstairs, so you don't have to get uh, tired walking up downstairs. I don't imagine I'll be doing too much of that. They get to the house, and the the old man doesn't seem that impressed with it. He's more looking around at the land, and he's doing. It was really kind of funny. He's doing these little measurements, holding <laughs> his arms out, checking the direction, and he's ascertaining that this house is is located in a place where there was a big train accident yes years before and i believe in the ride over they they allude to that it's sort of funny you're taking me to die in the cornfields where i should have died three quarters of a century ago look dad you can tell those nutty stories to all the people at the old folks home but if you tell brian that he's not going to sleep at night he's been looking so forward to seeing your old pots all he talks about night and day <laughs> maybe sometime soon you could drive us all out of the spot where it happened Sure, but uh, don't have to drive. Accident site's on my property. Your property? Exactly where on your property? Here we go. The, the old man has to kind of put it together mm. that, that they didn't just build their house near the site of this, of this horrible accident, but that it's literally right where the train went off the tracks. Yeah. This is where the Highball Express ran off its tracks. Really? When did that happen? Back when I was your age, Brian. Ran clear off his tracks one night. Killed everything on board. Killed everything on board? So he did that just for this one place. Like, imagine being... <laughs> so weird that I'm putting this on you. Imagine being black and being like, everywhere you go kind of has that sort of Oh, context. no, I can totally Which imagine. Which is strange, because like, I, so I, I live downtown Baltimore. So I'm like, at Fells Point, I'm like, man, this cobblestone, it feels like there were, there was some slavery here. And this guy was like, yeah, this was like a port. This cobblestone is where they came. The stage is where they put people. But like, that's all the time. And the, for this guy that had the presence of mind to be like, a lot of bad things happened here. Yeah. And on top of that, this accident happened. Imagine. Yeah. Imagine. That's that's the context that you have for America. If you had a grandparent who was around or a great-grandparent who was around in the 80s telling you stories, they were alive to see some heavy shit. Yes. I can imagine that his experience would have been, he would have grown up with old people who saw some real shit. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. That's all around us. That history oh, is yeah. just, like you said, it's literally kind of seeping up out of the bricks yeah. at you. So That that does a thing that kind of, uh, there, so, so the, the whole, we, we were watching Watchmen not too long ago, the HBO show, and the whole idea of uh, Dr. Manhattan perceiving time very differently, like pre past, present, future. There's something about when you get, it seems like when you get older, where that stuff kind of blurs. It's not that... 
you you can't sense time. It's that you start thinking about the context of all those things together, kind of layered on top of each other. And I think we're all kind of Dr. Manhattan in a way like time becomes very different, for mm-hmm. you. especially when you don't have to worry about the things that really don't matter so much um, as you get older. Like you don't, you're not working, right? Like if you stop working in the same way that you have, you had to work before, you start to get more time to think about your time, your history, your parents' history, and everybody around you kind of in a very different light. Mm-hmm. So I think that's something that he's dealing with that they don't have to deal with. They're busy with their lives, but he's like, I am old. And yet he's, and I am he's at, at the oldest, maybe 85. Yeah, so he's yeah. not super like creaky old, right. but he is old enough to maybe feel like, as many old people have that attitude of kind of like, ah, fuck this shit. <laughs> You know, so yeah. there might be some readiness to go or something, but right. it's not clear if he was ready to go before he got there or if it's only after he gets there and sees where the house is. And yeah. then he does this very crucial thing. He puts his ear down. There's a bit of of, of uh, railroad track yeah. just out there in the field when he's exploring it with, uh, with his uh, grandson. He puts his ear to it, and we later find out that's when he realizes how close this this end, yeah. this this uh, the end of his story is yeah. to him. Do you think that he felt like he should have not survived the first time that the the, the derailing. Well, let's let's get to that because I want to I want to address that question. The very next scene is the son complaining to his parents or complaining to his mom about moving away from Chicago to this place. So you get the sense that that maybe the uh, the little boy is not happy and that the granddad being there is at least somebody that can kind of talk to the little boy who isn't his parents. Because sometimes as a kid, you do need somebody that your parents are the the people that make you do stuff and they're the reason everything sucks. Yeah. So you need someone else to come in and talk to you sometimes. So the granddad hears that and then we see him having this kind of heart to heart with the son. And that's when he tells the story of not just that there was a train wreck here yeah. that it's been alluded to, but what happened. And you get the sense maybe that the son has heard the story before about what happened yeah. to the, the Highball Express they called it um it almost sounded like he was saying eyeball express for the it longest did. time i thought that's what he was saying eyeball express so the granddad is in the room with the son and they're playing with the son's toy trains yeah and he says basically that the train derailed and he was within 50 feet of it happening and i think there's this i i, I, I trying to figure out if he has a sense of like i should have died then or i I was very close to dying. Mm-hmm. He gets very emotional about that. Right. If you're marked almost yeah. and haunted by a near-death experience. But yeah. he feels personally responsible because yeah. he's listening for the train with his ear on the track and falls asleep. And yeah. he's the reason that the train wreck happens. Yeah. Oh, Pa, what made the Highball Express go off its tracks back then? Some little boy about your age was waiting for the old 407 to pick him up and take him visit his grandpa in Sioux City. The train was running late, so the boy laid down on the track with his ear to the rail so he could hear when the train was coming. I guess he must have just got tired of listening because he fell asleep right there where he lay. Well, when that train come around, the whistle blew, the semaphore clanged away, the track rumbled. But none of it woke up that sleepy boy. That brakeman must have not had the heart to run him over. Because he locked the wheels in old 407. All that weight and pressure made the track turn up on itself. 
That little boy woke up just in time to see the train roll over. Just 50 feet. 50 feet in front of him. And to hear the screams and cries of the passengers who... Sounds like a bunch of people died. Yep. That's what Old Pa has on his conscience. Yeah, so there's like that. And and I think there's this feeling like maybe I should have gone instead of all these people. Yeah, it was almost like I now have had this guilt all this time. And also, it's like I didn't even have the chance to die like I should have. As dark as that sounds. Yeah. But like it wasn't my choice. Rough, man. And then... And there, I guess we're, we're saying this like we know it, but there is the point in that after the granddad tells the story, yeah. um, and then you mentioned this line earlier, the little boy says, Were you that little boy, Opa? I still am that little boy, Brian. So he's been living, now we know, for 75 years with, with on him. the idea that not only did he see this awful thing happen, which would be bad enough, yeah. he's the reason it happened. Yeah. So... Then I felt like towards the end, like, you know, he warns of the train. He's like kind of getting his family set up and no one's listening to him except for the son. He's like, look, the train's coming. I'm out of (laughs) here. You know, I'm going to miss you guys. I do think that turn is where if this were a full length movie, you would have spent some more time or maybe even this episode. Like once he tells the story of what happened and he says, I was that little boy, he goes right to... And tonight yeah. it's coming back for me, and you'll never see me again. Yeah. Bye. To the, you know, <laughs> uh, is it, it sets up the parents to call in this doctor Yeah. to make a house call to check on the old guy, but really to sedate him. Yeah. He's like, oh, <laughs> was that a yellow jacket? No, you got poked. You're going to go to sleep? You got jabbed. We're sedating you. <laughs> You're crazy. Now, don't you think we ought to get to evacuating this place? Well, you really think it's going to stop for you? I know it is. I've got a ticket. And he's he's established this, that like, I need to be here for the train. Um, he's kind of explained this to the family. He's been going around the house, like trying to get them to move their valuables out of the way so that the train won't affect them too badly. Yeah. He also ha- still has the ticket from when he was a boy, and he gives it to the grandson who goes and puts it on his corkboard. And it's not really clear if the plan is to sedate him and then see what happens or if, like, they're trying to have him committed. But there's a long scene where they try to sedate him and the old guy fights back and you see, like, the shadows on the wall of it. Looks like these two, <laughs> looks like these two guys, the son and the doctor, are just working this old man over. And then the reverse shot is of the mom watching it happen. So the kid and the mom are watching it and we see the shadows of the doctor and the dad and the and old pa. And it's it's almost like something out of a horror movie. Like yeah. you would have believed they were cutting him in pieces, or they were <laughs> like punching like... him, or something. <laughs> and so there's there's this man. He so he's sedated. He's asleep. But that's the night of the train. Don't you think he'll be more comfortable in his bed clothes? No, uh, he'll be fine. Thank you. You can go home now. No, really, it'd be better for his circulation if we had. Look, would you like... please just go home? You don't actually believe any of this, do you? There's a whole story going on that we didn't really see of the relationship with that doctor and and how that doctor felt about being called out and then jabbing a guy and wrestling an old man and then uh, basically being yelled at by the guy that called you. He handled really well. He's like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And they had like a regular conversation. But so the kid has the ticket, the old man is sedated, 
Everyone in the house is asleep. Mm-hmm. We've established this is 75 years to the day. Yeah. I mean, that's another thing you get in one of these truncated stories is you don't have a few days after the granddad Hell gets there no. for things to build. It's the day. He gets there. Yeah. It's the day. He figures out the train's coming back. The problem before was that he was asleep. Yeah. It seems like the problem before was him being asleep is what caused the accident. But now the problem of him being asleep is just that he might miss yeah. the train. Um, the kid falls asleep on some his hitched miniature train yeah he's got his ear on he the, the ear. plastic uh, track of the of the of and his train set he right. starts to hear the train which only seems to be isolated to that room at first mm-hmm. the parents don't hear this loud train as they're sleeping and it seems to be really loud because it's yeah. really loud for the kid and he wakes the granddad up well, this is like a slow build of the kid hearing the noise, which again, soup. if you didn't know this was directed by Spielberg, uh, this last section has all the Spielberg greatest hits of like a shot of somebody, a camera moving in on someone who's got a look of amazement or horror yeah. on their face and the lights flashing and you got the John Williams music going. That stuff really was like, this is slightly budget level TV mm-hmm. version of what Spielberg really does well. I mean, the, the, the pictures are shaking on the walls, the floorboards are popping up. Yeah. Um, but also there's that weird thing in Spielberg that I, I realize all the time now of people sort of just, they're almost like posing. Like people are moving a little bit in slow motion. The parents yeah. in particular are kind of there in this last section to just be going like, what? Yeah. Huh? Like the only real relationship we see is the one between the granddad and the, and, yeah. and uh, what's his name? Brian. Um, but yes, the, the, it becomes quite literal. It's, it, it's a train. It's a, it's just train a, is it, coming through. Yeah. And it finally makes it to the house and yeah. it busts through and Brian has managed to get Olpa up. Yeah. And, uh, get his bags ready. Olpa coming out of the bedroom, waking up from a nap, like an old guy waking up fully dressed from a nap. It's just so real. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like the yeah. old person, they're still wearing their cardigan. They're still wearing their yeah. nice dress pants, but they go back and they lay down. He's coming out of sedation, so he's really groggy. But he also is kind of like, this is is it? This is like what he's been waiting for. Or this is what he feels is the logical ending to his story. Yeah. Um, is that the train that he caused to wreck is going to take him on his yeah. final journey. But then there's also like, I guess the idea that like, death feels like a train wreck (laughs) it really does feel like it's crashing through your house it really feels quite disturbing to whatever it is that you're doing at the time like it oh yeah so i thought that kind of represented too like it it feels nuts like it everything that you've known has changed including the foundation literally of your house like Mm -hmm. whatever you've come to know was changing so yeah if the old guy is ready to go mm-hmm. and then the kid is still in this little kid world of everything's kind of magical so you could kind of believe that there's some rightness to this or yeah. maybe i'll get to see him again one day or something the the parents really are the people who are trying to have this normal kind of boring they want to keep things mundane yeah. the lives that they're trying to have are completely just obliterated by this because they're not <laughs> thinking in the true terms of like this train's actually coming they're not thinking their lives are ahead of them like the kid nor are they thinking their lives are behind them like the old guy so they can't even fully grasp what's happening there's like a layer of wonderment and heightened awareness that you get kind of scraped off you as an adult Mm -hmm. that kids have and there's something about something something about a commentary about what you have as a kid the awareness that you have, the the allowance to be like, okay, something absurd could happen in this space mm-hmm. 
that I think is really cool. Um, and I, I know that I, I'm ready for absurd things to happen all the time. Yeah. And then when they happen, I'm like, you didn't feel like this was going to happen. <laughs> and I feel like you have that in you too. No, I definitely do. And when you were saying that creative people or people who are at least interested in the idea of translating their thoughts into something right. that other people can experience, mm-hmm. you do kind of stay in this nether region between oh, the yeah. real world and the imagined world. And it can be quite frustrating uh, and I do remember being a kid and being frustrated at times. Oh, yeah. And I can yeah. only imagine when I'm an old guy and nobody knows what the hell I'm talking about. It's yeah. going to be frustrating then, too. It's just not an, it's an extra thing laid on yeah. top of everything that you don't need. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, if I could, if I could really put it into like a, 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 a scenario, there's a thing that happens like a little kid could be sitting around with their parents and, um, you, you know, you could come in from school and you're like, how did you come home from school? You could be like, I farted and it flew me all the way here. Mm-hmm. And there's a thing when you say something like that and you look up at your parents, they could they could yes and that moment or they could destroy it mm-hmm. and act like everything you say along those lines is crazy. I did not care as a kid. I literally did not care what my parents thought. It, it was very weird. I, I, I know it's like a it's combative in a way, but. I never let them get in the way of anything that I had in my head. Yeah. But it's easy for you to be like, man, okay, well, I guess I can't use fart as a way to travel <laughs> because my parents said that's the dumbest thing they've ever heard. Or your parents could be like, huh, that's a that's an option mm-hmm. and that's enough. That's enough for you to keep that creative thing in your head forever. To right? keep it alive, right. Yeah. And that's true. Like instead of saying, John, come on. That's too much daydreaming. (laughs) My mom would ask me what happened that day. And if I said an eagle and Dracula were fighting on the playground, she would she would ask me like, and then what? And then what? And kind of play the game with me. And I had a lot of grown ups around me when I was a kid who were like, Oh, here comes Mr. Imagination. Right. (laughs) There's something about your parents not even saying that can't happen or it can happen, but just letting you talk a little bit. You know what's strange, man? I thought that I thought this was gonna feel. I mean, it, it is absurd. Like the things, some of the things that happen are absurd. But my ability to believe, like, okay, this this could happen. I remember how I felt about things when I was a kid, and how I feel about things now. A train could come through my house. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know why I thought that, man. Well, you don't know it can happen until it happens, yeah, and yeah. then it officially proves it could happen yeah. by happening. And that would be another little, maybe the last little beat we can hit here is the the bit of heaviness when the train does come. It's not like this train's been coming through here every year looking for him. Yeah. Somehow this is magical. This is a convergence. He's back here in the right spot at the right time, and mm-hmm. the train's coming through. I hope my ticket's still good. It's, it's kind of old. It always was good, Mr. Globe. And we've been waiting a long time for it. The ghosts on the train are kind of saying, don't feel bad. Yeah. Welcome. Yeah. Yeah, that stuff's heavy, man. Um, I My dad used to show me, this, show me this movie when I was a kid called Cabin in the Sky. It's from like the 40s. It was a musical that was about the devil and uh, God fighting over this guy's soul. And uh, there's like his there's like a million times where he almost dies. Then towards the end, um, he actually does die and some steps form and God's like right there. And and kind of a similar line happens. Like he's like, you know, I thought that I'd have some problem getting in here. He's like, you were going to come here all along. Like, I didn't tell you that, but I was like, oh, oh good God. But there's something about that, man, because um, you wonder, you wonder as you go through life, like. 
am I doing this right? Yeah, is my ticket still good? <laughs> my ticket's still good. Yeah. I called somebody a bastard the other day. Is my ticket still good? <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. So I get it. It was a good episode. Yeah, man. I do remember liking this one, and I came away from this today going like, oh yeah, I still, still I, like, I still like this one. I still think there's some, there's something to it. So how did you feel about the promise that the old man says to the little boy that he's going to see him again in a hundred years? Does that mean that little boy is going to live to be a hundred and ten? I guess so, but don't ever tell a kid something like that. <laughs> I don't care if you even have a hundred years left. You're going to start to feel like a, a clock has started. You're yes, going to be like, I've only gonna, got a hundred years left. Yeah, you're going to be marking it on your wall, <laughs> on that cork board. <laughs> that is heavy. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. But yeah, to your point, the son doesn't seem to have much. It's not like, I'll see you as no. well, son. It's like, your grandson is cool. You're okay. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> Did he just not mess with his dad like that? It was just really heavy that he was just like, all right. Even as the train was leaving, he didn't seem very phased. And I, <laughs> just, I was bothered by that. Yeah, I think that's the shorthand, and that's where the the simplicity maybe of Spielberg's outlook, that he was so focused on the kids that he would sort of maybe forget that the parents would be be interesting if we got to see how they feel about this. But at the end, we just get the little joke. The mom says, who's our insurance agent? Which I hate to say, I was thinking that from the moment the train hit the house, I was thinking like, God, I hope they have insurance. (laughs) I wonder if the Allstate guy came. I mean, have you ever, like, told your son something absurd? And he's just like, yeah, that, that sounds pretty on brand for this thing. And then you realize that, like, <laughs> your kid's acceptance of chaos is a lot yeah, simpler well, of a concept to them than talking to an adult about a train going through a house. So that might be why the grandkid kind of took that well when the granddad said, I'll never see you again. He's <laughs> like, all right. <laughs> Well, then later he said, I'll see you in a hundred years. So it's kind of like early on, he was saying like, I'll go away and I'll never come back. And then later he promises he will see him. So, which means that he also knows, um, when the son's going to die, which means that he may also know when the son dies. Yeah. (laughs) Don't get me, don't get me started on what I was thinking as I was watching it. (laughs) What if the parents were like, Hey, could you let us know when we're going to die? And he was like, ah, ah, shut up. This isn't about you. (laughs) Bye. <laughs> See <waiting>. yes. <laughs> yeah. I also thought when they got into the car, I was like, uh, "These, uh, it's a car full of racist people." <laughs> Another thing I thought: the train car, <laughs> the train car, I, Ronald. <laughs> I was thinking the same damn thing. I was like, these they're, they're like ghosts. Like, they're like wearing yeah, the garb of ghosts. 1910, and they're looking out the train, and it's an eerie moment. Yeah. Um, uh, and it is kind of given the appropriate weight. Like You are thinking, like, oh, these are spirits of people who have passed by. But the yeah. very next thought I had was, <laughs> boy, I bet those people have some terrible views. <laughs> exactly. So many terrible views in that train car. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's the first thing I thought. <laughs> and, you know, frankly, uh, well, I, it does seem like Clyde Old Pa, he, he at least, he had it in his heart somehow to so be forward thinking, yeah, more forward thinking about yeah. Native Americans. So maybe he would have been. That surprised the hell out of me. I really enjoyed that. Yeah. 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 So uh, overall, good, good episode. I enjoyed it. Man. Yeah. Well, I think this was a pretty good episode of this podcast, Ronald. So I want to thank you and ask you, where can people find you online? Um... Okay, my name is Who Is Ron James on Twitter and Instagram. I have a small clothing line called Status Apparatus. Status underscore apparatus on Instagram. And you're wearing, like, honestly, I love this hoodie you're wearing. He's wearing a Status Apparatus hoodie you like in it? front of me. It's like you're taunting me with how cool that hoodie looks. I Thank love you, that. Man. You're always doing something new. I try to, um, but that also happens 
to go along with the whole idea. When I said something absurd and looked up at my mom mm-hmm. and dad, they were like, all right. Yeah. <laughs> you could do you could do it, I guess. I appreciate you farting over here today to uh, to talk about this with me. And I'd love to have you back on to talk about a future amazing story. If sure. you feel Hopefully lighter. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Much lighter. I'm going to find the heaviest fucking one and make you watch it with me. <laughs> well, until next time, folks, I guess I'll see you in 100 years. Hope these things sound louder.